are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Podcasting this event. I am Vivian Fisher, manager of this department, and I'm here this evening to welcome you to our Writers Live event. Um, and so we will have Miss Simmons do the introduction for Dr. Gill. Good evening. Greetings and salutations, Habarigani and all the other wonderful blessings of this wonderful season, it is such a pleasure for me on this evening to bring to you uh, yesterday's tomorrow's author, Dr. Walter Gill. Yesterday's tomorrow challenges all families to document and align their lineage with historical events. Gill's storytelling superbly fluctuates between griot and autobiographical historian. Give me a firm place to stand and I will move the earth, said Archimedes. Our urban professor is firmly rooted and is moving this earth from his family's humble Mississippi beginnings, trailblazing educational first, to bring that once in a lifetime teacher professor to thousands of students, inclusive of myself. My husband and I, Tyrone Simmons, had the honor and the privilege to be taught by Dr. Walter Gill. We have become part of his extended family as many of his students from all avenues and walks of life. He is a unique professor in the sense that not only did he teach you content, he taught you life, and we value that. His life is so generously shared here in a research laboratory. He is given hope for future generations when excellence is the family, school, and societal expectations. I also would like to give you a commentary from one of his other um, peers. Walter Gill has written a fascinating, personal, and sometimes very personal informational history of his life using the backdrop of the growth of the civil rights movement in America. Written in staccato form as a third person narrative one gets the impression that Gill is standing apart from the actual events he describes. The effect of this style is to bring many of the events he describes into clear, objective focus. As someone involved with him at Baltimore City College, I understand the significance of these events for Gill and his role in them. For those interested in a highly personalized history, the, make, the book makes for a good read. And this is from Louis A. Noonberg, attorney, senior class president, 1955, Baltimore City College. And I will not 
take much more time from you, but I would like to have any of the Morgan State University faculty or alumni who are in the building to please stand. Morgan State University. And I'm recognizing you because you, this is where I met him. This is where my husband met him. This is where we romanced together. And I can tell you this, as much as I thought I knew about Dr. Gill, reading this, if you think you already know him, once you have read this, you will say, mm, hmm. So without further ado, I'll let you get your own mm-hmms from him as he come forward to give you some of the exciting passages and memories from yesterday's tomorrow. Without further ado, let's give him a real warm round of applause. That was wonderful, spoken like a retiring Baltimore City School principal. Now, before I talk about yesterday's tomorrow, I would like to show you a, a trailer montage that will be on YouTube and go all out a lot of places after tonight. I didn't want to send it out too soon, but now that I've had the book signing here, um, we'll, do the, we'll do the YouTube. So, without further ado, this is eight minute, 30 second, uh, trailer montage. It's not in linear form. It's some of the pictures in the book. They skip all about. Hope you enjoy it. That's what my wife always tells me. I speak softly like my mother. But at any rate, that uh, trailer photo, uh, photo uh, trailer montage was created by Lamont Tyler, one of my fraternity brothers, and several of my other fraternity brothers are uh, here this evening. I tried to get some of my childhood friends here, but uh, a couple are, are nursing uh, six sisters. Uh, another one is ill. That's the way it is when you, get, when you get older. I do have one person here that I grew up with, and that's uh, uh, Leslie Clayton. He gets a brief mention in the book. Now, his father's church, uh, Reverend uh, Willard Clayton of Macedonia, gets a little more play. And his older sister, Galifia uh, Clayton, graduated with my wife from Douglas. Small, small black world, as we said. Colin, Colin, I'm sorry. Galifia was younger. Uh, and I think that's all of my childhood my childhood friend that's here. Now, there's some other folk that are here who are in part two. That's uh, post-1960. Um, Earl Davis, a couple uh, who we worked with at Morgan, um, several of my students, um, uh, Ann and Tyrone, and who else? Um, That might be it. I have children of someone that was, uh, that was seen. I hope you saw your father. But I hope you purchased the book. It is a very interesting book. I was inspired to write it by a friend of mine named uh, Dr. Juanita Brigman. Because she said, well, uh, Dr. Gill, you have such an interesting life. Uh, you should write your, your autobiography. I'll help you with it. So um, that's how it started. But once I started, it took three years 
three years and four months to do, longer than my two books on urban education, longer than my dissertation, all of which took two years, three years. But once I started, it was so interesting, not my life, but I started weaving African-American and American history into the book. That's one reason why it uh, got so interesting to me. There are a lot of references uh, in the end. It's uh, a little over 600 pages. It has um, about 100 pages of pictures, references, and an index, um, about 40 pages of, of uh, photographs, really. And it starts in a linear fashion. It starts with my birth in Greenville, Mississippi in 1937, but I also spend time talking about my mother's education. She went to the first, probably the first Catholic school in the Deep South for Negroes. She graduated from that school. Talks about my aunt almost losing her life in the Great Flood of 1927. Talks about various experiences I had in Greenville and Bolden and other places. And in the process, I throw other names in, like Robert Johnson, the great blues singer, W.C. Handy, um, even Mary Wilson and Clarence Peaks. Mary Wilson, one of the founders of the Supremes, was born in Greenville, Mississippi. She left at a very early age. Clarence Peaks, who was one of the first um, African-Americans to play for Philadelphia Eagles, was born in, in Greenville. He left at four also. So there are a lot of little tidbits like this. Uh, I went to the first and second grade in Jefferson City, Missouri, where my mother and father were uh, teaching. He spent a lot of time uh, uh, trying to run away from the draft board and also working on his PhD at the University of Michigan. He was the fifth African-American to get a PhD in political science. The first was Dr. Ralph Bunch. And he was stationed at Tuskegee, so that's some of my experiences in Tuskegee. We moved up south in 1945 when my father started teaching at Morgan. And um, there's the history of Morgan. We lived in, on Morgan's campus, lived in Wilson Park, history of Wilson Park. We lived uh, in Sandtown in the Gilmore Homes, 1502. I went to the Coppin Demonstration School it was called the Coppin Demonstration School because Coppin Normal Teachers College was on the third floor and um, elementary school was on the first and second floor. It was called demonstration because the teachers demonstrated how to teach. Nowadays, they call those master teachers. Now, that school moved to North Avenue in 1952 and became Coppin State College and now Coppin State University. It was a wonderful educational experience, and you'll learn all about that in the book. For example, there was a lot of flexibility, um, a lot of flexibility in education. There was 1A and 1B all the way up to 12A and 12B. So you could start school in September. You could start school in January. You could graduate in February. You could graduate in June. Uh, there was no summer school. Nowadays, there's a lot of remedial summer school. There was no summer school. The only summer school was to skip a half a grade. If you were pretty, pretty smart, um, you could skip a half a grade from other schools. Or in my wife's situation, she was, got very sickly in the seventh grade and missed a lot of time. 
So she went to school in the summer, and she skipped a half a grade, sort of caught up with her class. There's information about the history of Morgan. The book also talks about the history of um, churches in West Baltimore and the fact that Macedonia grew out of Union Baptist Church. There's mention of um, Bethel AME Church when it was on Saratoga Street. I got a lot of information from a lot of uh, senior citizens who are 88 and 89, and I tell them how old I am, they say, oh, you're a baby. But it's a lot of information, and those names, or um, I acknowledge them in the acknowledgement section. I went to uh, Druid Junior High School for, uh, went to 130 for a year. And 130 was an excellent school. It was the best junior high school because at that time they had an accelerated program. You could do three years of junior high school in two years. There's a picture of my elementary school class, 42 students. That was a normal class. And one person was absent. We were all reading at the sixth grade level or above. But two of those students went to this accelerated program at 130. They did the seventh and eighth in one year and did the ninth grade in one year. Well, I wanted to be with my friends, who most of, most of whom had gone to 137, which was on Francis Street, Francis and Clifton Avenue. Right now, I think there's a senior citizen building there. In the ninth grade, I had an opportunity to go to Poly. We have a, a Poly person here. Oh, oh, there he is, right. And uh, along with two other fellows, Elmer German and Victor Dates, who did go to Poly in 1952. Now they went, they were the first schools that were, first school that was integrated. That was because Poly had the only A course in the city. And then AACP, Thurgood Marshall and some others argued that it wasn't separate but equal since that was the only A course. They couldn't get an A course in Douglas, so they said, well, okay, we'll have to let these Negro boys in. And I think uh, eight went. I changed my mind to last minute because I wanted to, again, stay with my friends, and I went to Douglas. After two years at Douglas, um, a lot of interesting stories about Douglas and West Baltimore. After two years of Douglas, um, I wanted to go to City, and that was because City, Baltimore City College had the best art program of any school in Baltimore. It was a school for the arts, pardon the, pardon the pun. And I was interested, wanted to become become an artist. So that's why I went. I went with nine other fellows as a result of the Brown versus um, Board of Education ruling. Um, there are three chapters about my time at City. I mentioned in the book that the City Poly game didn't mean much to me, didn't mean anything to me. Because I didn't know anybody that was playing on City's team. I didn't know anybody that played on Polly's team. It couldn't be a robbery. I didn't see those fellas on the weekend. I didn't go to parties with them. I didn't go to church with them. When I went to City, it was all white, all male, and 40% of the students were Jewish. That was one reason why there was a minimum amount of trouble uh, when I went to City compared with other schools. There was trouble at Southern, 
which is now Digital Harbor. There was trouble at a number of, of schools in Baltimore, but not a city. Boys from Mergenthal wanted boys from city to protest um, and march on City Hall, which I um, march on uh, Baltimore City School Headquarters, which was then located at 25th and Maryland Avenue on the corner. A fellow named Louis Newberg, who was the president of the class, got a call from attorney Robert Hammerman, who went on to become Judge Robert Hammerman, and uh, said, well, Louis, what are you going to do? Um, Louis called a, um, an assembly, of course, with the, with the support and encouragement of the, of the principal, had a telephone tree, and when the boys came up the city, about 100 of them are carding off the school. I went to an um, a Oktoberfest dance. Uh, I went to a funeral. One of my classmates, homeroom classmates, was stabbed. His name was Gaither Lee Fishbat, stabbed on January the 1st. And I went to his funeral. I went to his viewing, uh, one or the other, uh, a little hazy. But I knew I was treated like a pariah. I was the only person of color there, needless to say. And I thought it was terrible. I've come to pay my respects. And... Um, a child, you know, is treated like that. At any rate, I um, went out for the baseball team, didn't make it. Some people said that it was prejudice, but it's kind of hard to make the team when you're a senior. So I did make the track team. I started out as the number three track person, but by the end of the year, I was uh, the number one track person, the only one that ran in the city final. Um, during the, the uh, athletic assembly, the whole school stood up when I received my letter. During graduation week, uh, the school officials and the student government made it a point to make sure I was involved in all of the activities. I read the um, I read a passage from the Bible, uh, Pledge of Allegiance, um, the national anthem, went to all the social affairs, and one social affair was in the Dixie Ballroom in Gwen Oak Park. Gwen Oak Amusement Park. Now, we couldn't go there. No Negroes couldn't go there at all. But they made an exception and said, um, well, Walter can go to the dance in the Dixie Ballroom, but he can't go on any of the rides. So I told my mother about it, and my mother said, well, what do you want to do? So I said, well, I want to boycott it. So I boycotted it. And the Afro wrote it up. They wrote it up about city's first... Uh, city graduates first student and they also wrote, wrote up about the story I just told you and the fact that I boycotted it. So I was probably the first Negro person of color to boycott Gwen Oak Park. As you know seven years later Perrin Mitchell and Walter, uh, Walter Carter, a lot of ministers white and black ministers, Jewish rabbis, unions, parents, a lot of people picketed and picketed and picketed and they finally integrated on August the 28th, and that was the same day that the famous March on Washington was, and I attended the March on Washington. Let me say something about this picture that was taken on um, May 31st, 1955. This was the graduating class in front of the school. Now, that was a very significant date because it was the last day that the Supreme Court justices met, and only four districts had tried to integrate. You know, Brown versus Board of Education happened in May of 1954. Only four school districts tried to integrate. 
Baltimore, Washington, and two counties in Arkansas. So the judges said that the school should integrate with all deliberate speed. And of course, after that, a lot happened. You know, there was busing and people were moving out of town and a lot, a lot happened. But it was called Board versus Board of Education too. That's a very important date in terms of um, the Civil Rights Movement eyes on the prize. Um, I'll tell you one more story. When I graduated from um, graduation night, I sat by a fellow named Donald Gildon, and afterwards we went out, uh, went to a fellow's house, and uh, played ping pong and pool, and we were drinking, which we shouldn't have been doing. And around 2.30, we said we would go downtown and get something to eat. Now, downtown Baltimore was like the malls now. I mean, it was live, live. Nothing was in the suburbs. Everything was in Baltimore City. But none of the restaurants were service, not one. So I said, well, I'm going to go home. So one of the fellas had a lot to drink. He put his arm around me, got real friendly. No, Walter, you're our buddy. We're gonna, you're going to stay with us. So I had no choice, and eventually a horn and hearted service. Now, that's the last time I saw those fellows until adulthood. Uh, I became close to some of the, my uh, graduates later on in life, but I didn't make any friends at City. I got along with everybody, but I didn't make any friends. I, got, I um, became close with Sidney Crone, Dr. Sidney Crone. I said, he's the only white boy who's ever been vice president of a historic black college and university. He was vice president of Coppin for um, several years. And he's still up there now. He's retired, but he's still up there as an emeritus. He and I present a lot, have presented a lot of um, uh, talks to history classes at City, and we're known as uh, Salt and Pepper. We also spoke at City's 175th. They had a big shindig which is in the book, um, in um, 2015. And they had representatives from all the um, um, decades speak. Marvin Mandel was still living, so he spoke representing the 1930s. He graduated in 1937, the year I was born. Um, 1940s, they had Martin Resnick speak, who owns Martin's West. The 50s, Dr. Crome and I spoke. The 60s, Larry Gibson spoke, and on and on and on. Now, there are a number of people who attended City who are in the Hall of Fame. It's uh, who's who. I'm sure Polly has uh, a distinguished list also, but uh, Meyerhoff and Schaefer and Schmoke and Cummings and um, Rupensberger and Cardin and uh, Larry Gibson. I mean, there's so many people that graduated from City College. But the golden era of City was the 1960s. Now some of the boys had a hard time after me in the late 50s, like my friend Kevin Mitchell had a hard time. Uh, Warren Dumpy Poston had a, worn or had, had a hard time. But um, in the 60s, when a number of African American boys, or black boys as we were called then, we were no longer Negro, we were black in the 60s, um, it was quite different. And City not only dominated in academics, it dominated in all the sports, basketball, uh, football, and baseball. Now part two, now part one of the book 
Very interesting. I think it's the most interesting part. It's about 400 pages. Part two is only about 100 pages, and it's really my professional career um, in, the, in the service, uh, working in Philadelphia as a teacher and a counselor, working um, in Baltimore, um, going to Syracuse to work on my master's and a, uh, ABD all but dissertation, uh, coming back to Baltimore to work at Bowie State College, and then Morgan, then going to University of Maryland, uh, coming back to Baltimore. But to make a long story short, um, I've spent 22 years as a university professor, and I spent 26 years working with children and youth. And six, 17 of those 26 years were spent with youth who were incarcerated, places like Hickey and Woodburn and Waxter. So I hope you um, purchase a copy and enjoy reading the book. I have, a, I have a bookmark as a thank you because I only know one person, one of my fraternity brothers, read it in one day, but most people read it in, in pieces. I also have, have a note asking you to help me promote it since it's, since it's self-published. And uh, I have my yearbook here if you want to look through it. I have this picture here if uh, you like to look at it and the articles on the back. And does anyone have any questions that I can respond to? Uh, uh, I had a wonderful time working at Morgan and one, one friend that I really made there that lasted a long time that wasn't a student was uh, Earl Davis. And he's always been very supportive of all of my activities. So we kept in touch even when I was in um, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. There were only two people that I sponsored for the Omega Psi Phi fraternity, which I love dearly. My father wrote the second history book, and I'm a celebrity wherever I go in the country, and they found out that, that my father wrote the second history where everybody wants to take a picture, a photo out with me. But uh, Earl Davis is one or two persons that, that I sponsored. And I'm very, very proud of that, very glad of that, because everybody knows Coach Davis. <laughs> so does anyone have any questions or comments they'd like to make? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, I'll uh, answer that. I'll try and be brief. Uh, the first, I'd like to say something about my partner. I, um, of course, she's in the book. She doesn't come in until maybe halfway through the second part. But after she comes in, boy, she's there for the rest of the book. I'm not as interesting after that because I have a real GP stuff that I put in the book after I meet her. <laughs> Anything that's x-rayed is before that. But anyway, um, we met uh, December the uh, 22nd, 1961. That's in the book. It was on a Friday before Christmas. And we were introduced by one of my tap dance partners, Theodosia Thomas. Um, Theodosia Thomas's father is Dr. Vivian Thomas. I'm sure you're familiar with that name, helped with the blue baby and all of that. But uh, Dr. Vivian Thomas was one of my mentors and really helped raise me. But uh, Theodosia Thomas introduced me to my wife. We didn't start... Um, dating until 67, and um, um, then when I went to, 
to um, Syracuse, I really didn't have an address, so I used her address. We got married in 1974, so we've known each other since uh, 61. We've been married for 42 years. When we first got married, 42 and a half, come February, I would introduce her as my better half. But that was a long time ago. And as you know, I'm a much wiser man now, and I introduce her as my better three quarters. <laughs> and that's a good day for me. As far as education, I'm a little disappointed. I'm a lot disappointed in public education, public education. Um, African-Americans and people of color have more flexibility when we were segregated than we do now. And I gave you one example about starting school at either in September or January, uh, having two graduations, um, having accelerated programs. There aren't any accelerated programs where you can get out sooner. Now, you can take AP courses. You can take some courses and get credit in college, but you can't get out sooner. Um, also, the teachers don't care for um, their students the way our teachers cared for us. Now, I'm an adjunct at Towson University. Most of my teachers are Caucasian, and most of them want to be teachers. But I tell them that it's important to care for your students because once a student realizes that you care for them, then they'll listen to you. They'll be more more patient with you. You can you can uh, uh, reprimand them and discipline them, and they'll accept that. But you have to you have to care first. Um, I am encouraged by the number of mentoring programs that are all about all over the country. And I think um, three of the finest young men that I know, in fact, I work for uh, two of them, uh, Cameron Miles with his mentoring male teens in the hood. I was with him when he started it um, 20 years ago with five or six boys. I was one of the speakers. I support that in terms of attending meetings and making presentations from time to time. Uh, David Miller, uh, who works out of Washington, D.C. right now, and um, Dr. Lamar Shields. Uh, Mr. Miller and Dr. Shields have spoken to my classes at Towson, and I'm in the process of trying to get Dr. Shields to speak on Towson's campus. He'll be sponsored by the Department of Early Childhood Education, who I work for, and the Association of Black Faculty and Staff. Uh, he's not here this evening, but his driving force, uh, the, the straw that stirs the, the lemonade, uh, Queen Betty is here, and I'm glad you're here. So thank you for that question. So I'm really disappointed in public education. Um, and one example is, I'll give you one example about Black History Month. Now, of course, when I was in school, it was you know, Negro History Week, and that was expanded Black History Month. But education is so limited that it seems like the only place you, you get schooling is in school. Mark Twain said he never let school interfere with his education. And what we really need to do 
is to prepare all these children to be parents. I tell my, my, my uh, students, some of them are taking the class as an elective, half of them are. And I said, well, this is primarily for teachers, and this, this, this is for teachers, blah, blah, blah. But regardless, most of you are going to be a parent. And think of it from that perspective. They have one assignment. They have to select two children's books. And I use that as an example. No, you won't be teaching, but more than likely, you're going to have a two or three or four-year-old. What book would you select for them? Another advantage we had when we were growing up, our generation, is that our parents were our first teachers. Uh, they disciplined us. They taught us. We could read and write. And when we went to school, all the teachers had to do was teach. If we misbehaved in school and then got home, um, I know I would get a whipping. And some of my friends would get a whipping. I mean, we wouldn't have a side of the story. It wouldn't be what happened. We wouldn't have a side of the story. And it's just a little too much uh, flexibility right now and not enough discipline. As far as uh, Black History Month, I've had African Americans say to me, well, why did they give us the second month, the shortest month? Now, that shows a, a, a defeatist mentality right there. They didn't give you anything. It's what you allow yourself to accept. Last week, I spoke at Charlie Duggar's um, um, Kwanzaa, which was right in this room, last Wednesday. And we're going to get out before we did last Wednesday. <laughs> uh, we were almost escorted out by security. But I, I talked about the importance of celebrating year-round Kwanzaa. Now, uh, my former student, uh, Mrs. Simmons, Sandra Ann Howard Simmons, those are all her titles, Mrs. Sandra Ann Howard Simmons has been celebrating Kwanzaa for, what, 25 years? How, how long? Over 30 years. But we need to do that every month, every month. Uh, and not just when schools say it's all, when schools celebrate it, and when corp the corporate world would take out uh, all these ads about Black History Month. I go to a school, I go to a church, I won't, I won't mention, I take my wife to, to this, well, big church in Baltimore. During February, they're all into this black history, black history. But what about the other months? What about the other 11 months? And meaning no disrespect, but they spend more time studying about the history of Jews than they do about their own history. Uh, Asians don't do that. Jews don't do that. They always know who they are and where they come from. So we really have a challenge, and I'm glad you're one of the parents that will set a good example for your children, because the only way this will be a better world is that we have, if we prepare children to be um, better, more responsible um, citizens, making money for themselves so they can take care of their family, take care of somebody else. And because if you're a responsible person, you're responsible in all walks of life, in your public life, in your private life. You don't need to be police. You police yourself. So 
long response, but any other comments or questions before I sign some more books? Yes, ma'am. When I was teaching at Woodburn and Hickey and children from the, from the third grade to the 12th grade, I always told them that you always have to do more than your teachers ask you to do. That's just the minimum. Even my students, I tell them you have to write a paper, you know, four to six pages. I said, now, if you write an excellent four-page paper, don't expect to get an A+. Plus. You might get an A-, minus, but a person that writes an excellent five-page paper will probably get an A. A person that writes an excellent six-page paper will probably get an A+. Plus. But you can't expect to get a top grade for minimum effort. Um, I don't know how much it sinks through, but I think it's more important that parents, because children will listen to their parents before quicker than children will listen to their teacher many times. I like to um, sign some more books unless there's a, another question I can answer real quick because I don't want to get caught like my friend Brother Duggar did last week and we were almost escorted out the library by armed security guards. <laughs> but thank you very much for coming. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.